What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Guess what, folks? We're back. The Duncan Holder Podcast has made a triumphant return after a little bit of a hiatus. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here with you on the Athletics Podcast Network. Uh, Jeff, it's great to talk to you again. And I will say this before we get started. I was amazed at how many people would ask us on a daily basis where is the Duncan Holder podcast? When is it going to come back? We had to jump through some hoops. Big shout out to our boss, Jennifer Armstrong, and Jeff for you, really, for pushing the train and getting this thing going. And look, the plan is to do this probably once a week. Maybe we do a second one, depending, or if breaking news happens. But our plan is to do it once a week. We don't even really have a firm day yet, but we figured midweek, midseason report, why not do it? Jeff, good to be be back with you, buddy. Who knew, right? Who knew? People actually <laughs> like us, Larry. I think they like us, or at least they like to listen to us and hate us one or the other. But yeah, no, it's great to be back. Uh, we always kind of had in the back of our minds a plan to kind of restart this uh, podcast, and it's good to be back with you, Larry. And uh, there's a lot to talk about, right? I mean, we've both been on the sidelines with the podcast, but we've been covering all this stuff going on in the New Orleans market. Uh, so we got a lot to talk about today and I'm really excited to get DNH back on the airwaves. Absolutely. And this podcast and like most are going to be saint centric. Uh, look, if there's anything else going on, we'll certainly do that just because we cover the New Orleans market LSU. We're not pigeoned to just one thing, but look, we're going to be saints heavy. Of course, look, Number one seed in the NFC right now, amazingly. I don't think people would have thought that after starting one and two. And we've covered, like you said, the entire way. And this team is certainly getting better. I don't think there's any question about that. And the clubbing of the Bucks. I don't think anyone saw that coming, Jeff. And I'll be honest, I don't think the Saints really saw that coming. They could no. say they did, but there's no way that they said, man, we're going to beat Tom Brady and Tampa, uh, thirty-eight to three, and ju and just have and uh, no problems, n no big deal. You know, I thought actually Sean Payton was the most level-headed of everyone, saying like it was just one of those games that went our way, and they got out to an early lead, and the circumstances kind of dictated how the rest of the game went. And uh, I'm with you. I think it's a little, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to say it, but like all these Saints players and fans taking issue with people that picked against them. I mean, no one thought they were going to do what they did, uh, including myself. I thought the Bucks would win the game. I actually thought they might win it handily, and I was never more wrong. Uh, they dominated that game, and now they're in the driver's seat uh, for, as you mentioned, the number one seed in the NFC and also in the in the division race. I don't think there's any way. Uh, unless things the wheels fall off for Tampa to overtake the Saints because they've got that huge tiebreaker now by sweeping them. But let's let's not get carried away here. As you mentioned in your midseason report, which is excellent, by the way, you were very fair, I thought. You made a great point. It, it, as 
as good as the Saints looked against the Bucks, they looked that bad against the Raiders, and they looked very mediocre in beating the Bears, frankly, who have no offense and I think are not going to make the playoffs as they've shown since then. So let's not get carried away here. Let's see how they play out the rest of the season. But no doubt about it, it was the best they've looked all year. And when you look at the scope of the season, look, they've won five games in a row now. And even though people were a little sheepish, jumped to jump back on the bandwagon, uh, I was giving them credit just because even though you're not playing your best football, you're finding ways to win. And now that's culminated in a big win in these win streaks in the past few years, we've seen the Saints really kind of beat up on teams. And it's really a different formula of the way they've been doing it now. And now when you see all the pieces come together, no team's going to beat the Saints, not Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, uh, no one, uh, not the Ravens and Lamar Jack. None of those, no one would beat the Saints the way they played Tampa. Now, my expectation is that might be the only time we see a complete perfection of a game. Uh, it's probably going to be a little bit closer as we go forward. But when you see it all come together, uh, that probably has to scare the rest of the NFC and the rest of the NFL thinking, all right, when the Saints put it together, uh, they're going to really be unstoppable. Well, it all comes down to the the lines, right? The offensive and defensive lines. When they played that well, as they did in that game, and Sean Payton said, when you have two Hall of Fame quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Drew Brees, you know they're capable of doing damage to an opposing defense. They've done it their entire careers. It's going to come down to who affects the other quarterback the most. The Saints did that. They dominated uh, the, the Bucks' offensive line, and the Saints' offensive line dominated the Bucks' defensive line and gave Breeze all kinds of time, and we saw what, how it played out. Uh, that happened in that game that night, but will that happen again? We don't know that, but certainly they have the potential to do it. You and I have said all along that one of the big misperceptions of the New Orleans Saints is that they're a finesse team, that, that you know, they're this – pass-happy, indoor, dome-friendly environment team. And that's just not the case at all. They went on the road. They did it last week, in Chicago, two weeks ago in Chicago in bad weather. They did it in fairly bad weather in Tampa. And that's because their lines are so good. And we finally saw them play up to their potential in that game against Tampa. Yeah, but like you said, uh, they're not this finesse team. And back, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago, when it was basically – Air Payton, and you had uh, Drew Brees slinging it all over the field. I mean, that's not what they do. And people might want to shove Drew Brees out the door right now, and yet he's playing as well as many of the other quarterbacks. It just doesn't look as aesthetically pleasing as maybe Tom Brady taking a bunch of shots down the field. And look, that worked for someone like Tom Brady early this season, and now it's slowing down. So you can't just do that and do that and do that and expect success. Uh, I think the way that the saints are doing it offensively uh, works, it has worked the past three and a half years. And now you get all these pieces back together as we're moving forward. Uh, you take on the 49ers and the rest of the schedule. I don't think opponents are really going to have a good feel of what the saints are going to want to do because they could pull the let's pump fake to Alvin Kamara and then all of a sudden Traquan Smith is open. Like they have so many pieces yep. and they shown spe specifically last week that when they have all these pieces and these threats, they're going to get them the 
football and they can move the football and you're not going to know what's coming and it opens opens things up for you know your best friend in american history Taysom hill as well get out get out the old Taysom song you could jump back on that bandwagon jeff yes yes he is the heir apparent right but <laughs> look nick saban said it best the other the other day where he said it really is offense wins football games now it used to be it was all about defense but it is offense and it all starts with the saints offense and look, I know the Saints defense played great the other night, but it started with the offense because they're able to control the ball, like you said, the short passing game. I think they ran twice as many plays as the Bucks did. They controlled the ball for 40 minutes in a 60-minute game. This is the second time this season, Larry. I think Carolina also, they, they, they were able to beat Carolina, where Carolina had like 43 plays in the game. Tampa the other night had 46. Those are the two fewest plays by a team in the NFL this season. Both of them came against the Saints because their offense is so good. They're moving the chains, controlling the ball, and that's the best defense you can have. But let's face it, the Saints are vulnerable to some degree on defense. But if they're not on the field, they're not going to be vulnerable. And I think Sean Payton's figured that out. And for all these Drew Brees haters out there, if it's so – uh, uh, obvious that Drew Brees can't throw the ball deep, then why does it, why can't anybody stop it, right? I mean, the Tampa Bay Bucks must know this, and they couldn't stop it. Uh, it it's obviously not that simple, and uh, the Saints are operating at a very high efficiency on offense, and it's helping out their defense. If they're only in the field for 20 minutes a game, they can't get gashed. So I, I think this is going to be the formula for this team going forward, and it's a very smart, well-thought-out, uh, formula that Sean Payton obviously is uh, employing to and win another championship. And Jeff, we're at the midseason point. So look, I did midseason report card, and now we're looking ahead uh, to the rest of the schedule where the Saints only have, as of today, uh, one team with a winning record left on the schedule, and that's the Chiefs. Uh, but let's kind of do some midseason accolades uh, and, and uh you, you'll name yours, I'll name mine. I'll just start r- rattling off some, uh, some categories here. Uh, what's been your biggest surprise in a positive way for this team? Well, pick a phase. It doesn't matter. Just what's your, been your biggest surprise in a positive way uh, for this 2020 Saints team? Well, look, I don't know if it's a player or even a phase of the game. I think it's been surprising that they were able to win all those games they did without – Michael Thomas, without a lot of their offensive weapons, they ground out a bunch of three-point victories, right? They won three in a row before thumping Tampa. And I think that was pretty surprising that they were able to do that and be successful. And it's a very positive sign uh, that they were playing basically their C game, it seemed to me, and winning those games. That, that's a credit to the coaching staff, the veteran leaders on the team, that they were able to win those games uh, when they weren't playing very well. And yet here they are now six and two. And if you're a Saints fan and you're in the Saints locker room right now, you got to feel very good uh, that, like you said, they're hitting their stride right now. They're six and two and the potential is off the charts for this team to kind of go on a big run and maybe lock up that number one seed. So for me, it was just the fact that they were playing so mediocre and still winning their games. Yeah. And I'll, to maybe a couple of players biggest surprise that the Saints were able to win and win consistently without 
Michael Thomas being Michael Thomas, without even Marshawn Lattimore consistently being Marshawn yeah. Lattimore, without Cam Jordan consistently being Cam Jordan, without Demario Davis, like he's still a Pro Bowl guy, but he's not being an All Pro guy. Like right. the fact that you're able to do this with uh, and Jeff, how often have you and me talked over the years? Who's the most indispensable players on the Saints roster? I named probably about five of them, and he, Drew Brees even early. Uh, you know, he he didn't play as well as you were expecting, and then he was able to rebound. So the fact they were able to do that with a lot of their stars not playing all pro type football, I think that is huge for the Saints team because now we're starting to see them play that way. And like you said, the offense holds the ball. Guess what? The defense can kind of pin their ears back. And if they get a lead, uh, they can really kind of go after some inferior teams. So, yeah, I'd say the fact that their star power players haven't necessarily played up to star power is a big surprise in a good way, even though it might sound like a negative, but it's in a good way. So a biggest surprise for you, Jeff, on the, the opposite end, who did you expect to maybe play better and hasn't or a phase where you're thinking, man, what is going on? Why aren't they playing as well? Well, it'd be that some of those defensive guys you mentioned, Cam Jordan, Marshawn Lattimore, Demario Davis, those are arguably three of their best defensive players. Maybe their three best defensive players and none of them has really balled out so far this season. Uh, so I think those guys in particular, Drew Brees early on, I have to admit, I mean, look, I'm the biggest Drew Brees admirer there is. But early on, he did not look like Drew Brees to me. I mean, I can remember that Vegas game, you and I talking. I mean, he looked antsy in the pocket, indecisive. Ball was not coming out quick. But he now looks like the guy we've all, you know, grown accustomed to seeing. So I think those guys just that, – that was befuddling to me early on. We all thought this team, because of the continuity, the, the veteran leadership – we all thought this could come out of the gate and, and be smoking right off the bat. And it was the exact opposite. And until Sunday night, I had not seen the New Orleans Saints team. I thought we would see this season until Sunday night. They finally showed up. And I think that's, and rightfully so, why people were still skeptical on the Saints and why the national media was very skeptical on picking the Saints to even win that game. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll admit, I didn't, I didn't think they would win that game, but to me, it and this is my going into my biggest concern is that I didn't trust the secondary. Right. I didn't trust that a they could cover, or b they would have the communication to get things right because we've seen these breakdowns happen. And I think that's to me, and it, it was reflected in my midseason grades. I think they needed the Tampa game to for me to even give them a C because like uh, it could have been C minus D plus just because of the miscommunication on there and it's these they don't they're not playing rookies i mean cj Gardner johnson is a second year player but everyone else has played in this league five six ten years and you've been seeing all these mishaps and it seems like though that the unit is improving as we say the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. uh specifically against the bucks obviously but like malcolm jenkins he didn't look great to start now he's been in the defense and he kind of knows what he's doing and you could see that. And so I think that's something they're, they're still going to have to clean up just because you can't have Nick Mullins come in and uh, Brandon Ayuk is running free. and You can you hit him and no one like, like last year, like Emmanuel Sanders running free and uh, 
Jimmy Garoppolo hits him, and that that was a big gut punch in that, that type of game. So I think I'm not going to say that these downs might not happen again, but uh, that's something that was probably the biggest disappointment and something that they've absolutely got to cure. And look, I would say if we're talking about surprises, I think we'd have to say Trey Hendrickson, right? I mean, I know you're writing a story on Trey Hendrickson's breakout season, but the guy, we all knew he was a pretty good player, but he's third in the league in sacks behind Aaron Donald uh, and Miles Garrett right now. And now all of a sudden the Saints have an issue, right? I mean, this is another guy that they have to seriously consider giving an extension to. And, and it, it really makes that 2017 draft class even more special. That's amazing Amazing development, right? You already We already knew they had Alvin Kamara, who arguably is the MVP of the first half of the season. Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek, Marcus Williams, and now Trey Hendrickson in that group. Uh, that's maybe – it might surpass that famed 2006 draft class, and I never thought we'd, we'd say that. I think it will just because even the one guy who's not on the team right now, Al-Kadeem Muhammad, is a, a starter in the yeah. league. And so <laughs> even looking at that sense and yeah, it only adds to that draft class. And Jeff, we're talking about Trey Hendrickson. He was the third, third round pick, uh, forgettable basically. And he's now, uh, Oh, by the way, he has seven and a half more sacks than Jadavion Clowney, who you and me thought right. they didn't really need. And no one was really listening to what we were saying because I liked what they had in Hendrickson, uh, Marcus Davenport. Now we're seeing him healthy, and he's being a real force. And Clowney has done nothing. Imagine if they signed Clowney and he'd done nothing. Imagine how bonkers people would be going right now. That's a great point because he would really muddy up, up the rotation. They'd have to play him, right, because they, they went out and signed him. So this was a case of – addition by subtraction, if you will. And they got lucky by not signing him. It was Jairus Bird all over again, in my opinion. And people get enamored with the big names, uh, especially fans. They love to get a guy like Clowney. He was a huge, uh, you know, top draft pick, obviously. But in this case, uh, they dodged a bullet. There's no doubt about it. They're much better off without him. Absolutely. And for Hendrickson, and yeah, my story uh, came out Wednesday morning. And this really started last season for Hendrickson. And you look at, he had three sacks in two games to open up the 2019 season. Then he got banged up and missed a few games. And it took him a little while to get back in the rotation. And then once Marcus Davenport got hurt, he started playing and playing well. And it wasn't necessarily the sack numbers because he had by the end of the season, if you count the Vikings game, he did have five and a half sacks because a lot of people don't count that. And he did have a sack in that game. But the real metric I was using uh, through the NFL next gen stats was just his distance on average to a quarterback in each game. And the, the league average is four and a half yards. And Trey was regularly four yards, 3.8 yards. 3.3 yards. And this was, and he's rushing, you know, multiple times a game. And to get right. that close to a quarterback and affect him that well, he was doing that last year and he's been doing that all this year. And what's also impressive is he didn't go say like a couple of years ago, Adrian Claiborne had four sacks in a game and it boosted his sack total. Trey's had 
sacks in six of the first eight games and it's consistent consistent and uh i'm curious to see how many he compiles by the end of the season and he's in the final year of his rookie deal and where does this go from here and look here's the other thing too jeff if you start paying more attention to trey hendrickson hello cam jordan he's gonna come and get you or demario davis when he's blitzing or marcus davenport or david on who Look, he's someone else under the radar. Boy, he's having a really good season. So I, I think that defensive, say front seven or front, well, could be like front six, front five, because they barely play a linebacker. And I'm sure you're gloating since I love talking linebackers. And you see, see Larry, all they need is Demario Davis. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but look, that that defensive front has really been a, a big push for this team. Well, I'm wondering, look, we're getting ahead of ourselves. They're still trying to like finish this season, but looking into the crystal ball, I'm wondering if they do offer Trey Hendrickson, could this eventually spell the end of Cam Jordan's tenure here? I mean, if they pay him, you're eventually going to have to pay Marcus Davenport. Uh, they can't pay everybody. We know probably Sheldon Rankins is not going to be back. They've already signed on Yamada, so they've got him locked up. But they're going to have to make some very difficult decisions on how they put together this roster. And I think Hendrickson's development really kind of throws a wrench in that. I I don't think they planned on him having this breakout season, but you can't let a great pass rusher go like him. Those guys are impossible to find. And if you've got him under contract long-term, I mean, you you can't pay three defensive ends or, you know, you just can't. So I don't know what that spells uh, for the future of Cam Jordan. I'm talking about down the road. Obviously, you know, they're still going to keep him under contract, but it definitely – changes the dynamic of the uh, how they build this roster going forward no doubt about it uh that's what happens when you get a ton of good players and at some point you're gonna have to let a few of them walk and uh that is something i know we're gonna revisit in uh when when this season is over uh mm-hmm. for the saints fan sakes ho- uh, hopefully it could be like mid-february when, when we actually have to <laughs> right. revisit this but uh but like and i mentioned linebacker and it's something that uh, we should discuss because remember they just traded for Quan Alexander. Jeff, mm-hmm. what do you feel like his role is going to be, uh, and how much of a difference do you feel like he has? I know a lot of people think he can come in and and be an upgrade. Obviously, the Saints don't trade for him if they don't think that. But what do you feel like Quan Alexander brings to the table? Because it sounds like he's going to be able to practice starting. We're recording this on Wednesday. He could practice today. Look, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think he's going to move the needle much. Uh, you know, he's a better version of Alex Anzalone, in my opinion. I think there's a reason they traded for him. But there's also a reason that San Francisco moved on from him. They felt like uh, Drake Greenlaw was a better player and cheaper version. Uh, you know, it reminds me a little, a little uh, in some ways of what happened with Adrian Peterson with the Saints, right? They went out and got him in free agency. And then they end up drafting Alvin Kamara, and he becomes expendable. That's kind of what happened with Quan Alexander. They get Greenlaw, he he develops, and you move on from Alexander's contract. But obviously, he's he's someone that's played in the league at a very high level, and it adds depth to that position. For the most part, uh, you and I have written about this a lot. I mean, the Saints play two linebackers, and Demario Davis rarely comes off the field. So really, there's one spot there that he's going to probably – man and to me it's an indictment of Alex Anzalone it, it, it tells me that they didn't believe that he was developing at the rate they wanted 
and they're ready to supplant him in the lineup eventually. And if you watch the games, you notice there was a couple weeks ago, I think it was the Chargers game, all of a sudden Craig Robertson was taking snaps from Alex Anzalone. He was on the field. I don't know if that was injury-related or not, but Anzalone came back in. That opened my eyes that maybe Anzalone isn't getting it done and they want to try and you know do better at that position. Yeah, Alex Anzalone's in the last year of his contract uh, in part of that 2017 class. And I'm with you that I don't know how much it's going to make a major impact just because I don't know if it's because uh, if it's because Anzalone hasn't played as well. So maybe they're putting in PJ Williams and playing yeah. uh, six members of the secondary uh, or even seven, you know, well, six and only having Demario Davis because uh, play all of the snaps, because if you look, especially the last two weeks, Anzalone's snaps have gone lower and lower. Like these past two weeks have been the two lowest percentage of defensive snaps he's played all season. And does that, do they change their route and put in Quan Alexander and do that? I don't know. Uh, but at least it, it probably, like you said, gives you a body and you shipped off a body. Keelanza, who wasn't even really going to play, uh, you know, hasn't played and hasn't come off the pup list. Uh, he was allowed to practice, but I don't think he was going to be a major impact. And, and it's really just a one-off. You, you rent yep. him, and then he's going to walk unless he comes to a really low contract. And so uh, I, I think it was just a matter of let's bring in a veteran guy. If he gives us a spark, great, and, and we'll see where we go from there. So we only got a couple minutes left on the pod, Jeff. Uh, 49ers game. How do you think this thing goes? Uh, we know the 49ers, they are a team that is badly decimated, not the same team that we saw coming to the Superdome a year ago. Uh, but uh, what do you think uh, that the Saints need to look for in this game? And how do you think it's going to go? Well, it reminds me of the, you know, what Jim Hasley used to always tell me back in the day was, you know, it, it matters. One of the key factors in the NFL is, the schedule and when you play a team and obviously playing the 49ers right now is much more uh, advantageous than if you played them in week one or two before all these injuries hit. I mean, they've been decimated. They, they by far have been the most injured team in the league. I think there was a point a, a week or so ago where they, they showed like a graphic of their starting offense in the Super Bowl uh, this past uh, February and nobody that started in the Super Bowl at receiver, running back, or quarterback was playing in the game the other night against the Packers. And tight end, too. George Kittle's hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, everyone's out. So this should be a game that the Saints can handle. I think Sean Payton kind of sent a message to his team after that game. If you noticed, uh, they were trying to stay level-headed. He knows they can't afford to, like, take this team lightly. They're very well coached. I mean, I think we all agree. Kyle Shanahan, that staff, that's a team that – as opposed to what I, I felt like Sunday night, Larry, I felt like Sean Payton and Dennis Allen just coached rings around Bruce Arians and his staff. Byron Leftwich, I don't know what they were doing on the goal line there, some of those play calls. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think this is a staff that can match the Saints X's and O's wise. They did it last year. I thought Kyle Shanahan actually outcoached Payton and had a better game plan when they beat the Saints in the Dome. So they're going to be well coached. The Saints just have to go in and do what they've been doing, which is not mess up. That was the amazing thing the other night was they actually had a bunch of turnovers in that game and they still managed to uh, overcome them. And uh, I just think as long as they don't give this game away 
this is one that they're going to be able to kind of put in the bag midway through through the game because San Francisco just doesn't have the talent to match up. Right. Don't make any boneheaded mistakes. Uh, look, if Alvin Kamara's rolling, roll with him. Uh, Michael Thomas, and, hey, Emmanuel Sanders. It could be the Emmanuel Sanders revenge game, even, even though he's played on like five teams. So, I don't know. He could have revenge on half the league. But, uh, look, I think the Saints should win this game handily, but – I'm still thinking uh, they, they keep teams close. Detroit, I'm, so I'm not going to predict some blowout, but obviously I think the Saints should win this game. And, uh, look, don't let, say, like Jarek McKinnon beat you because he's <laughs> they're on, like, their sixth running back. And don't right. let Nick Mullins just hit some shot plays and have bad miscommunication on defense. I think the offense can roll. Uh, like I said, all the, all the pieces are back together. So, look, I think this is uh, – this is a game that they should win, and uh, look, you and me uh, will be there covering for the athletic. I would say this, Larry, and I think you probably agree, right? I mean, like, I, I feel like this is going to be a, a weather vane game, right? We're going to find out a lot about the Saints in this game. If they roll the 49ers like we think they will, I think it's going to be a good sign for the Saints going forward. If they grind out like a three-point win, I think we could say that Tampa game might be a little bit of an outlier. Uh, but I think if they go in here and, and drub them, we could see the start of a big run. And I, I think the Saints are still going to win a lot of games here and, and probably still win the division. But I'm interested to see how they play if that game was something of a, a mirage, the way the defense played against Tampa or not. That's what I want to watch in this game is really how the defense plays because that came out of nowhere. That defensive performance we have not seen all year long. Uh, I think the offense will be fine, but the defense is what I want to watch against San Francisco. It's funny. It's going to take a, a six game in a win streak for you to be like, man, they're, they're going to have really something going because right. all the other wi- wins were not dominant and were nail biters. So look, uh, we'll be at the Superdome. Myself, Jeff Duncan, Catherine Terrell, covering it for the athletic on Sunday afternoon. So I want to thank everyone again for pushing to have this podcast come back. We're fired up. So Duncan Holder podcast can be back at you. Like I said, maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, depending on what's going on, but uh, we're happy to be back. And thank you for pushing and pushing and pushing comment section, Twitter, everywhere. It was so much. Uh, it, it's funny. Sometimes I say, Oh, look, all these, all these males are coming in, uh, you know, to get back on the air. Well, guess what? We're back. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to be great uh, that Jeff and I are back. But once again, Thanks, Jennifer Armstrong, for pushing us and pushing to get this thing back on the air. Big kudos to you, who is now our producer, which let's see how that rolls. But uh, anywho, uh, we will be back (laughs) next week for the Duncan Older Podcast. Of course, Apple, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Of course, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You can go catch it there. So for Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Thanks again for coming back for the reboots of the Duncan Older Podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.